Thanks for joining us for Life Vineyard Church. We're going to start off with James 1.1, so that I can give you a little background on who James is before we get into the rest of the verses this morning. Um, So I'm going to be reading from uh, the New Living Translation. It says, Greetings from James. This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. Now, slave also can be synonymous with servant. James is calling himself the servant of God and of Jesus. But what he doesn't mention here is that James is actually the half-brother of Jesus. He grew up in the same family as Jesus with Mary and Joseph. And and the only reason he's a half-brother is because, um, you know, Jesus had a a conception by the Holy Spirit, not his father, James, or Joseph, right? So he grew up in the same family as Jesus, and he's writing this book about his brother and his brother's teachings, Jesus. Now, if I were to poll this room and say, whom of you would not like your sibling to write a book about you? Is that you? Would you be like, yeah, no, thank you, right? I don't want my sibling putting the information out there about our childhood or about my life, right? Siblings can have some kind of unique and complicated relationships, right? They, they might know something about you um, that you might not want the world to know, right? They, they've seen you in your rarer moments, um, and you might want that to, to remain anonymous. Now, I really don't know what this is like because I am an only child, and the world of siblings has crashed into my life um, by raising three daughters, okay? And I will tell you, it's a wild ride. Uh, You know, for you that have siblings, it's been a wild ride. And my children, they fit to the T, the birth order, you know, firstborn, middle child, baby of the family, right there. You know, they have it all. So I thought um, maybe you could relate to some of these sibling memes, okay? I thought they were funny. When you argue with your sibling and your parent chooses your side. (laughs) Yep, mm mm-hmm, okay. Trying to figure out which cup is less full to give to your sibling. Okay, maybe daily in my house. No one said no one, but me to my siblings. We found you in the dustbin. Okay, okay. Me turning off the bathroom light when my sibling is inside. <laughs> oh, that happens even to me. Okay. Me calling my mother when I was 10 to let her know my brother hit me and I definitely did not throw the remote at his head, right? Okay, tattling, calling your mom. You know, these are just some of the sentiments of having siblings. And, and James is writing about his sibling, Jesus, and he only has good, positive things to say. But this was not always the case. When Jesus started his earthly ministry, 
His immediate family was not on board. They actually tried to get him to stop. Stop healing, stop teaching, stop casting out demons, just shut it down, Jesus. We're not, okay, you've crossed the line. And we see it in Mark um, 3, 20 through 21. It says, one time Jesus entered a house and the crowds began to gather again. And soon his disciples, they couldn't even find time to eat. And when his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. They literally called him crazy, okay? They thought he was crazy. They're like, they go to the crowds, they're like, that's enough, show's over, people. Like, pack it up, go home. We're taking Jesus with us. You know, he needs a little time, time away. Maybe we'll send him back to the temple and kind of get him straightened out again. They're trying to shut the whole thing down. But he didn't listen to his family, right? He keeps on teaching, he keeps on ministering, and his family keeps on not believing. We see again in Mark, a few chapters later, it says, Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. And the next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many people were amazed, and they asked, where did he get all his wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? And they, they scoffed, and they said, you know, he's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sisters, they live right here. And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. And Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. And this is Jesus' family, right? They are a devout God-fearing family. You know, when, whenever it was Jesus' birthday, they were like, oh yeah, Jesus is the one that was born by a miraculous way, right? I mean, they knew that he wasn't just an ordinary person. They knew the stories of the prophecies from the, the Old Testament, the scriptures that they knew very well. They knew about the prophecies even that came when his parents brought him to the temple at eight days old. They knew who he was, but they didn't believe it. They were deeply offended by his ministry. So what shifted for James to go from disbelieving to now writing this book of the Bible? from that deep offense to claiming himself as a servant of Jesus, his very own brother. One amazing event shifted everything for him, and that was the resurrection, the great miracle that conquered sin and death forever and really claimed that he was the true Messiah. And we know, like, this shift took place for James because he was there at Pentecost, when we, what we just celebrated last week. He was there when the Holy Spirit came as tongues of fire. He was there speaking a different language. He was there when 3,000 people that day came to faith. He was there. 
And the power of the resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit shifted. It shifted James from belief into action. He said, now I believe in Jesus, my brother. And now I'm going to move to action. We're going to be asking the Holy Spirit, what shift might you be asking me to make this morning? James makes this shift from unbelief to belief to action because he becomes one of the, the main leaders in the, the first Jewish Christian church there in Jerusalem. He's a pillar in that church. He goes on to lead the believers. And then he goes on to write this letter. And it's not a letter to a specific church. It's a letter to all these Jewish Christians that are growing and multiplying and scattering in the area. And he writes this, his purpose is to move believers from faith to action in a very similar testimony that he had in his life as well. Faith is received by grace, but it's cultivated through action. And James is writing from this personal testimony where he, is, he had his own faith move him to a whole life response of giving himself to being a servant of Jesus. And yet, this shift, it doesn't come without a price tag. See, the shift comes with um, with suffering. The way of Jesus, the way of the cross in, includes suffering. Because the kingdom of God is advancing and the kingdom of Satan is trying to take down the kingdom of God and that was happening just as much then as it is today. There was great persecution for the early church. As, as the church grew and multiplied in Acts, the people exploded with the power of the Holy Spirit, and that growing force became a threat to the old order of things. And, and Paul, also Saul, in his early days was one of the main instigators of this persecution. He would go around just killing Christians. And that was before he wrote much of the New Testament, and he encountered Jesus, and completely transformed his life. But the believers in Jerusalem, um, where James is at, many of them had to scatter to surrounding areas because of the persecution. And that's what he's writing. He says, I'm writing to the Jewish believers scattered abroad. But this, this persecution, this scattering, it didn't stop the plan of God. It actually fueled it in many ways. Acts 8.4 says this, But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. They're suffering, they're being persecuted, and what do they do? They stay true to Jesus. The mission never leaves them. They bring Christ wherever they go. And so this is who James has in mind when he's writing this book. So 
We're going to read 2 through 8. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world. They are unstable in everything they do. So, so James is acutely aware of the suffering that happens in life. Life is hard. You know, the battles are going to come. And he says that that is an opportunity. An opportunity for what? For complaining, oh, for like extra self-care, an excuse to just go off the deep end, right? Just indulge in whatever you want to, sinful behavior. No. He says it's an opportunity for joy. It's an opportunity for joy. You might be asking, like, why is it an opportunity for joy? That's not really logical, Liz, right? That's not how you most naturally feel. Yeah, I totally get it, right? I'm kind of a reactive, you know, kind of person. But he says it's an opportunity for joy because of the purpose God has planned for you through this trial. Now, it's really difficult to endure something without knowing the purpose, your why. You have to know your why, right? Like my coach in training and marathon running, he's like, when you race, you have to know your why. You have to like have that anchor to like hold on to. So when you feel like you want to die at mile 23, you know, you have something of why you are doing this. So I always think of that why. You know, sometimes it's different race to race. And you might be thinking, well, you don't really figure out the why of your trial until hindsight. And I agree, there is a, a, a fuller understanding and revelation when we, when we look back at our trials kind of in perspective, right? And you see the different things that he's weaved. But he also, God also gives us a very plain and simple purpose for our trial that's right here in the scripture. James tell us, t tells us. And it's to make you perfect and complete, needing nothing. You might think like, man, is there any other way to do that? Not in Jesus. The world says, you know, you... Find your completeness, your perfectness, your wholeness in all kinds of other things, right? Achievements. Achievements will make you feel really good about yourself. Happiness, experiences, money, beauty, those things will really make you feel complete. A life free of hardship, that will really make you feel complete. 
Social media plays a huge role, I think, in our inability to see spiritual truth and apply it to everyday life. Because for me, social media every day, every time I get on it, is modeling to me what will make me complete and perfect outside of Christ. And they're so good, they zero it straight into everything that Liz is even remotely interested in, right? If you're even a little bit interested in this, this is how you're going to become complete and whole and perfect in that area all the time. But it's just a smokescreen, right? It's all a lie. James says it's all going to fade away. He says this later. It, you're a, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. The hot sun, you know, we're like these wildflowers. It's just going to fade away. It does not last. God is highly invested in making our broken selves whole. He wants us to be made complete and whole and understand the full revelation of who we are in Jesus. And James says that trials are God's means towards this goal. And he will gift you with endurance. Endurance is a gift. He will gift you with endurance, and that endurance is going to produce a strength and a steadfastness that's going to grow and grow in you. And when that strength is, is fully grown in you and finished its work, you will be content. You will have everything you need. You will be at a place of peace. Doesn't that sound really nice? what we want, but the means in which we expect it is different than what God is saying. God says you won't be searching anxiously throughout your life. You will be safe in your friendship with me when you have this inner strength that is produced through the endurance of trials. Now, I could probably go around and talk to each one of you after church today and, and, and hear from you about a trial that you are currently in, right? It might be something recent. It might be something that's gone on for many years, right? You might have a health trial right now where you have ongoing pain and suffering. You might have a trial in your work where you're like stretched thin or you're looking for purpose, or maybe you're looking for employment. You might be carrying trials in your marriage, in other relationships. You might be a parent, okay? Your trial might be summer, okay? <laughs> I came home last week from work and walked in the door, and Dan just had that look on his face, you know? That look that says, this day has brought me to my capacity. <laughs> and I understand. Solidarity, 100%. You know, summer is tons of fun, but it's a trial, man. <laughs> By the time, like, end of July hits, I'm like, we're almost there. <laughs> what shift do you sense the Holy Spirit speaking to you about today? You know, one morning this week, I was sitting on my patio, 
and listening to my favorite app, uh, Lectio 365, my, my shameless plug to always go download it and listen to it. And this, since Pentecost, the theme has been um, like the Holy Spirit coming in greater measure to the church. And the specific passage that morning was the passage from Isaiah, um, how, you know, the Spirit of the Lord, talking about Jesus, the Spirit of the Lord has come upon me to preach the good news and um, to bind up the brokenhearted and set the captives free. And their question was, Spirit of God, what are you anointing me to do today? That the Holy Spirit is in us, but also for other people. So, Spirit of God, what are you anointing me to do today? And it's a perspective shift to think, yeah, that's my day. You know, Holy Spirit, you've anointed me to go out today to do something. And three things came to my mind. I had to do some cleaning, okay? Um, today's my youngest daughter's birthday, Chloe. She's turning four today. And I had to do some cleaning so we could have our family over and have a little party. And, you know, it doesn't, it's not perfect cleaning. Sorry, guys, not perfect cleaning. But it's, I, I, I had the, the, the sense that Holy Spirit said it's, it's welcoming hospitality, right? It's just enough to be welcoming. So do that with joy, cleaning. Not my favorite thing, okay? Second was, Holy Spirit was like, practice loving authority. I've anointed you for loving authority. As I parent my kids, it's a trial sometimes. And he was reminding me, loving authority. As you interact with them and discipline and do the things you have to do. And the third was playfulness, Liz. Playfulness. You know, I, ha I took my kids somewhere, I think, that day. And sometimes, like, it's just I take them somewhere to just make it through the day, to get through the routine of summer, you know, before it all blows up in the house. You know, we can deal with it on the playground or something, and the splash pad. But be playful. I've, I've made you for that. So three perspective shifts from, you know, this is just the things of today to know, like, apply spiritual truth to your everyday situations. Joy, the shift that the Holy Spirit can give you is joy for the things he's anointed you to do. And when that's difficult, James tells us to ask for wisdom. Because our God is so generous, he's going to give it to you. And wisdom is the power to see heaven's perspective in the situation. Right? Instead of focusing on the frustrations, the failures, the struggle, the effort this all takes, wisdom gives us heaven's perspective to apply spiritual truth to our everyday situations. And the Holy Spirit is the one that does this for us because he loves you. Do you know the Holy Spirit loves you? And he is in you, and he is going to remind you of truth. He is wisdom for you, for your every day. So I want our prayer throughout this series to be, God, give me more of your wisdom. Come, Holy Spirit. 
And James tells us the opposite of this picture is a wave. A wave just gets tossed around. And the reason it gets tossed around is not because of the water. It's a different word that starts with W. Do you know what it is? Wind. The wave gets tossed around because of the wind. A wave is like simply energy moving through water. And so he says, when you are not anchored and fully loyal to God, you're vulnerable to the powers of this world. The powers of this world just come like wind and blow you this way, and blow you this way, and blow you this way. And you're, you're just this vulnerable water blowing around. He says, that's what you are when your loyalty is not anchored in God and when you don't believe fully that he is going to give you all the spiritual wisdom you need for your everyday life. So where do you need this shift today? I have three calls to action as we uh, wrap up and move on to worship. So Joe, you can come on up. One is journal. Journal about some of the struggles that you have right now, some of those trials. I mean, you don't have to hold back, like complain, get it all out, you know? Let loose. And then go back and look it over and mark it up and see where God is making you mature and complete. It's a good, it's a good exercise to do. Meditate. Learn James 1, 2 through 4. You know, you try memorizing it. Write it out somewhere where you see it. This is one of those whys, those anchors. Consider it joy when you face trials of many kind. That you'll be given this gift of endurance and it will grow and you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Meditate on that. And pray. Pray, God, give me more of your wisdom. Come, Holy Spirit. Pray that you can apply spiritual truth to everyday situations. <clears throat> We're going to sing three songs this morning. Um, after the first song, I'll be back up to uh, lead us in communion. But would you stand as I pray? Jesus, thank you for being a God of wisdom, that you author wisdom and you used it to create the foundations of the world, and you give it to us in abundance. God, thank you for being our anchor through all of life, through the storms and through the joys. And help us to, to understand that you are maturing us into your perfect ones. That we are whole and complete in you. God, thank you for loving us. Holy Spirit, thank you for loving us. Minister to us this morning. We want to bless your name and praise you. 
Jesus, we love you. Amen. At Life Vineyard Church, we want you to experience the life-changing presence of God. We'd love to have you join our community. We meet every Sunday in Muhammad, Illinois. To find out more, go to lifevineyard.org, lifevineyard.org. Oh, hey, you're still here. You're, you're like one of my favorite people. The, the kind of person that like sticks around after church while everybody else has left. Like you're still one of the last ones talking. You're like the podcast version of that person. And while I have you here, uh, if you didn't know, this is Pastor Dan. Uh, while I have you here, I just want to say, hey, if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to come to life if you're in the central Illinois area. If you're listening to this outside of Central Illinois, go find a Vineyard Church. Vineyard Churches are amazing places. Go find one near you. And if you're not near a Vineyard Church, then uh, just find a church, a community of believers that you can be involved with, be in community with. I think we are our best spiritual selves when we are in community with other people who are following Jesus. That's what the church is for. So we hope to see you here. And if not here, Go find a community of believers that you can get involved with this week. All right, thanks for listening. See you later.